0: Muddy Media.
1: Totally Football Show. Today, football's back. And if you've been missing the goals, good news, you could get a job with Hawkeye. We react to the dramatic and controversial events as Aston Villa face Sheffield United and, jeez louise, Man City's 3-0 win over Arsenal. Plus, we look forward to a weekend of round-the-clock football that'll leave you glued to the box like Matt Hancock making a model aeroplane. Plus, life of Bayern, they're not a very naughty boy, they're the Meisterschafter. and Coppa Italia, Napoli winning with merit. It's all in the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. This one's for a remarkable young man who had the week's biggest victory before a ball was even kicked Marcus Rashford who helped out a truly deficient group Matt Hancock and the Tories Listeners, we've got Daniel in our team too Daniel Story We have James Hooray! Also with us on this special late night reacting to the Premier League restart special, Duncan Alexander Hello James and making his return, actual Man United fan, Carl Anker. It's good to be back. It's great to have you back, Carl. Later on, we'll be hearing from James Horncastle on tonight's Drama in Rome. But, uh, of course, we've been agog at the Premier League restart, the action getting underway at six o'clock. And have you ever been so excited to watch Aston Villa play Sheffield United?
0: Yeah, it was weird. It felt... It took ten minutes to realise... um, That you were watching Aston Villa Sheffield United and a half-fit Aston Villa against a half-fit Sheffield United and it kind of it wasn't as bad as everyone said but it it kind of played out that way
1: did you go sound or not sound Daniel
0: Uh, I went sound and I don't think it's perfect but I think it's far better than no sound
1: are you not enticed intrigued by the opportunity to eavesdrop on the players and managers
0: Uh, No, because uh, as I saw on Twitter, there's only so many times that you can tell yourself you want to listen to the tactical nuances of it and then hear Chris Wilder shout, Bashy, Bashy, Bashy at Chris Basham (laughs) for the entire first half.
1: What about you, fellows?
0: I went
2: uh, with no sound. Uh, I find it quite interesting that Chris Wilder has uh, toned it down because uh, normally when he's at Bramwell Lane and the stadium's in full chorus, he does swear a lot. So it, I think he's definitely realised. Oh, I got to make it more PG thirteen. Mm. Uh, the sound I tried sound for maybe fifteen minutes on the start of the second half just to compare and control. Sunny, it's not as good as the Bundesliga one.
3: Not yet. We'll get there. Well, there was quite a big difference between the two games. The Villa game did sound a little bit ropey, and a lot of the effects seemed to come in two or three seconds after. That it was very kind of mid nineties uh, computer game. But the City Arsenal game actually was pretty good. I, I saw some City fans complaining that there was too much Arsenal singing in the first half, but um, but yeah, it, it kind of it felt like you were watching a, a big match on a, under the floodlights. So yeah, mm. I'm all for it to be honest.
1: Intriguingly, the Coppa Italia final this evening had a virtual crowd and, and an actual animated one that was. Uh, a little bit too animated. But curiously, they didn't have fake fan audio. So you had the crowd video, but no sound to go with it. But anyway, we'll talk more about that game later on. This Aston Villa Sheffield game, which got things back underway, finished 0 0, but only after a total failure from goal line tech when Oliver Norwood's uh, spiteful, to borrow Jamie Redknapp's expression, free kick was carried clear over the line by the Villa goalkeeper, uh, Oyan Nyland, but no goal was given prompting two wins to go and about a billion other users to tweet, should goal line technology have driven to Barnard Castle first? So there was a statement from Hawkeye after the game saying that there was basically a freak convergence of events. Occlusion.
3: Yes.
2: Someone forgot to plug it in, it sounds like.
3: Well, I mean, I don't think we'll ever know, but I did feel a bit bad. You know, you read those messages and you know how... Slowly, someone has typed that out, and before they send it, it's, it's not a nice thing to have to send, is it? I did feel a bit bad for them, but you know,
1: so it's essentially, that the uh seven cameras which form this preci- usually uh, precise goal line measure were significantly occluded by the goalkeeper, defender, and the goal post. Is mm. is yeah, Daniel, are you yeah. buying that?
0: Mm. No, it's not, it's not really good enough. I mean, they said, firstly, they said, oh, this has only happened once in 9,000 matches, but you don't get a marginal goal line technology call in every one of those nine thousand matches. I imagine you get it in maybe five hundred of those matches. And I want it to work more than four hundred and ninety-nine times out of five hundred. And and also there far be it for me to defend this man's honour, but Richard Keyes posted a link to the, the the official website of the of the company that produces the technology and on that it says it has never been seen to not work. It feels like something like this should have been planned for. It was a weird incident, but it wasn't that weird that I wouldn't expect online technology to not spot it.
1: Right. For all the questions, though, over the efficacy of the Hawkeye uh, technology, isn't the bigger question, what happened to VAR?
2: I believe, according to friend of the podcast, Anton Louis, uh, PGMOL uh, clarified in a statement that followed after the game that said, uh, due to... IFAB protocol, that's a lot of letters I'm reading off here. The VAR is able to check goal situations. However, due to the fact that the on-field match officials did not receive a signal and the unique nature of that, the VAR did not intervene.
1: Oh, So they're saying that the officials didn't get a signal for some reason. Well, I guess it's all academic now because it didn't happen. But it was a bit of an epic fail on a game which had so many people focused on it and, uh, and so much tension and could have such a big bearing, of course, because Villa get a point, which could uh, prove important in the relegation battle. Sheffield United miss out potentially on two that would have moved them into fifth place. Daniel?
0: Yeah, there is a little bit of a backstory here in that last season, Aston Villa played Leeds in the championship and Leeds scored a goal when Jonathan Coggier was down injured, Aston Villa players down injured. And Dean Smith was quite angry and quite adamant that Leeds should... Let Aston Villa score because there had been a wrong. And I mean, it's not exactly the same incident, but Smith came out after the game and said, I never considered doing it. VAR has screwed us, effectively screwed us over a number of times this season, so we're not going to go for that. And I just think it's a little bit off to do it one way and not the other.
3: We also mentioned in, uh, in last weekend's pod that, you know, Sheffield United have got a history of being incredibly unlucky, and if they miss out on European qualification by a point or two this they'll obviously point to this game Um, there is a bit of a precedent in the 97 Bolton were at home to Everton I think it was the first game at the Reebok as it was and Jerry Taggart had a header that went clearly across the line it wasn't given and at the end of that season Bolton went down and Everton were the team that survived in their in their stead so you know we we should have moved past that point but you know we haven't so here Mm -hmm. we are.
1: All right, well, nil-nil anyway, is the uh, result that is recorded in the annals. Game was preceded, though, as was the later fixture at the Etihad, by a real show of solidarity. Uh, all the players and the officials taking the knee uh, to echo the message on the back of everybody's jerseys, Black Lives Matter. I presume that's something that's going to be echoed through all of the fixtures this weekend. Is that, is that like a Premier League policy thing?
2: Yes, so uh, the first 12 games players will have Black Lives Matter and the badge on their uh, sleeve. I believe the badge was designed by uh, Troy Deeney's girlfriend uh, and uh, the agreement was brought forward through the work of Troy Deeney and Wes Morgan as well. Um, Thanks to them both as well. I think it's... I mean, I'm I'm saying this as the black football journalist on the podcast. Um, I think it's fantastic. I have written a piece recently for The Athletic about how football can be a little bit too pleased to pat itself on the back for the symbols. Um, so while it was a powerful image, I didn't need Sky Sports to immediately tell me this was a powerful and moving image. Sometimes you can just, you know, let it sit there. Uh, and the fact that Sky Sports immediately cut to Tyrone Mings partway through it, it was sort of uh, like, okay. And then, of course, there was Sky Sports uh, doing a very strange TV package where they just did a bunch of... Uh, films involving black people and then saying black lives matter which again didn't quite there is this is important right so black lives matter the movement that um black people deserve basic human rights and it'd be nice if the police didn't disproportionately attack uh black people and then somehow uh not receive any form of justice about that that that, that's good that is nice that's a great statement and i don't think anyone should disagree with it if wince is properly explained um, something I'm finding quite difficult right now is if I go onto social media, if I go on to onto nearly any Premier League football Club's Facebook page and they're going, "This is the Black Lives Matter shirt," uh, I will see a number of comments going, "Why can't we wear the poppy?" And like, "Well you, you do. You do wear the poppy. Um, like, well, you should wear the NHS badge instead. Uh, well, the NHS badge is there as well. Um, so yes, these are moving powerful images. However, it'd be nice if we were a bit clearer with the underlying caption underneath as to why these players are wearing Black Lives Matter what Black Lives Matter means. Because I I am worried that uh, the conversation to some football fans, they think Black Lives Matter is some sort of quote-unquote putting politics into football, which, I mean, of course, I don't understand why black people deserve human rights as a political statement. I don't understand why that's a controversial one either.
0: And football has its own issues. You know, there's no there's no black person on the fa board um there's no black referees in the football league or premier league at the moment there's very few disproportionately few black coaches so it, it also has to come and i know this is exactly what carl's saying but it, it also has to come with a a resolution for action rather than a you know rather than just a statement which in itself is powerful but the reason it's powerful is because football has such sway and responsibility and power itself so do something with it
4: you're listening to the totally football show with james richardson part of the athletic podcast network get 50 percent off your annual subscription and in-depth coverage of each and every premier league team by heading to theathletic.com tfs
3: oh, mistake by david Lewis and sterling this time
1: Some important questions there for Arsenal after Wednesday night's game at the Etihad, which finished Man City 3-0. nil. Raheem Sterling opening the scoring. That's his first goal of 2020. Also the first goal behind closed doors in Premier League history, I believe. Arguably the key moment of this game, about 20 minutes in, when Pablo Marie went down injured. Yeah. It's,
2: it's really unfortunate for Arsenal. They, they had a good game plan. And they, you know, there's been talk of Mikel Arteta's quiet revolution of Arsenal, and it looks like it's going to remain quiet for a bit longer. Um, they seemed impressive for the first 15 minutes, but it's just that sort of thing. When Dava luis comes on, I mean, old Davie luis you know, I'd say pre 2018 Davie luis he was chaotic, yes, but he offered you so much production going forward and uh, so much. Uh, well, I don't want to say passion, but he added such a nice chaotic element to his defending that it was worth the risk. Whereas now, you know, his physical output is just sort of dipped off and he is... uh, It's okay having a Maverick in good form, but when a Maverick is beginning to age disgracefully,
1: ouch. Ouch, indeed. This was, in terms of late period, David Luiz, this was perhaps the definitive performance. 25 minutes. It's efficient. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And, and also, Arsenal, yeah, I know it's really funny for us, for most people to watch, and it's almost dark comedy for Arsenal fans at this point. But serious questions need to be asked of Arsenal because they paid £24 million to have David Luiz for one season. And not wholly, and I'll be slightly careful how I say it, but I think we can say at least partly signed because of their relationship with Kia Jurabchen, the the football agent and they wanted other clients of his and because of that they were persuaded to take a gamble on David Luiz and it wasn't it wasn't even a gamble nearly everybody saw this coming you know we this is the David Luiz we knew was going to happen when he got a bit slower so he couldn't make up for the mistakes and when his fitness dropped a bit and it's it's just embarrassing it really is
3: i mean his last season at Chelsea he had the most through balls of any player in the premier league which is pretty impressive for a centre half but you also think what are you actually doing as a centre-half? And he's kind of lost that play, but kind of doubled down everything else. I mean, I tweeted tonight that he's, um, he got a red card every 160 games in the Premier League for Chelsea. That's uh, up to every 13 games for Arsenal. He gave a penalty away every 53 games for Chelsea, and now it's every six and a half games for Arsenal. You know, he's, he's equalled the Premier League record now for f- giving away four penalties in a single season. Um, the last player to do what he did in this game You know, gets come on as a sub, get sent off, concede a penalty, and commit an error leading to goal was uh, Ivan Cordoba for Inter against Brescia back in 2011. So, it pretty much. I mean, you couldn't really ask any more for the Premier League coming back in a sense. It was you know, if you want a distraction from uh, what everything that's going on, this was the the ideal man to serve it up. If you haven't seen this performance, I'm sure there
1: are supercuts of it flying around on social media. As you say, David Luiz shortly after coming on trying to defend a ball but allowing it to bounce off his knee back into the penalty box where Raheem Sterling tucked it away. He then later hauled down uh, Riyad Mahrez to concede the penalty and receive the red card. He has now conceded penalties this season away at Liverpool, Chelsea and Man City and been sent off at Stamford Bridge and tonight at the Etihad.
3: Huh? And there's been a lot of talk, as Carl mentioned, um, about Arteta's revolution and changing everything at the club but you know this was again Arsenal at a big six team they haven't won there at any of those since 2015 they didn't have a single shot on target that was the first time in only three years that hadn't happened and they had they allowed um, city 12 shots on target which is the most since Bayern Munich in 2015 so you know it was kind of back to the back to the bad old days really
1: Of course the game ending with uh, Eric Garcia being absolutely laid out by his teammate Edison and leaving the field in a neck brace no word yet on how serious uh, that injury is. Overall then, the the two games on the Wednesday, did they live up to your expectations? Were you surprised at the lack of intensity or, or by the intensity? What were your thoughts?
2: I'd peg it somewhere between uh, International Champions Cup and uh, Community Shield Fitness. So everyone's starting brightly and then it gets to the 65th minute and it's just, ah, uh, you're knackered, aren't you, boys?
0: Yeah, it's weird. You either you kind of it feels like they kind of need an early goal to get the game going, or both sides just sort of sit back a bit. And yet, if if a side takes a commanding lead, like Manchester City did, it means that the last twenty minutes are are almost literally played at walking pace. So, you're kind of difficult to find that balance. I think.
3: I, I really enjoyed it, honest. I think you know when you know the teams and the clubs that well, it's there's something quite comforting about even an empty Villa Park or Etihad. You know, is there was. I think you can kind of buy into it a bit more than you can not that you shouldn't watch other leagues but you probably don't have the same kind of history and investment in them so yeah i i, I really enjoyed it
1: well duncan there's more where that came from up next with the weekend's fixtures we'll get onto those after this Remember all the things that used to annoy you about football? Silly haircuts, time-wasting, VAR, diving. Well, we haven't had football for quite some time, so when you think about it... Silly haircuts are better than no haircuts. Time-wasting means longer games. VAR is just properly observing the rules. Diving, 10 out of 10 for effort. Football is back, all is forgiven. And to celebrate, Paddy Power are giving money back as cash on all markets if Bournemouth beat Palace on Saturday. Paddy Power. This match only. Online exclusive. Pre-match singles only. £10. Maximum cash refund. T's and C's apply. 18plus. Bgambleware.org.
4: On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson.
1: Stephen Bachelor asks, uh, "Who is the most famous player you had completely forgotten about since the season was suspended? In my case, says Stephen, it was Pepe. Oh, yeah.
2: Sander, Burge. I sort of forgot he was like a big thing for uh, yeah. Sheffield United for a bit, like a massive coup. Um, I, I watched them and went, what? really?
0: Mm. Okay. Just a tall bloke, isn't he?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I had a weird moment where Kevin De Bruyne went off and took off the captain's armband, and I went, who, who could Kevin De Bruyne possibly hand to? Fernandinho, you're a very important football player, aren't you?
1: What, what about you, Daniel, with your runners-up position in the InterTotally Cup encyclopaedic knowledge? Uh,
0: the one player, and this is this makes me sound like I'm after some sort of hipster award, but um, Tarek Lamptey may play this weekend for Brighton, who was signed from Chelsea in January. And they really, really liked him at Chelsea. But obviously, the rise of Reese James means he probably wasn't going to get much of a chance. He's a right back normally. Uh, He could be really exciting. And the other one I would say is Keenan Davies played really well for Villa tonight. Mm. That was his first start of the season. Uh, They like him. He doesn't score enough goals, but they really like him as that kind of wide forward.
1: Well, from Friday, it's wall to wall Premier League football. Ten games, one after another, including a couple of historic football on TV moments. First ever free-to-air Premier League match and the first ever televised league game at 3pm on a Saturday, uh, well, at least since the blackout was introduced back in the 1960s. Listeners abroad, I know you can watch matches whenever you want, but in the UK, we're not allowed to have live games from any league on TV between 2.45 and 5.15 on a Saturday. Do you know why, Duncan?
3: Well, it was uh, it was brought in by a man called Bob Lord, who was Burnley chairman. And later had butcher. A, the, was he? Mm-hmm. Well, he also, there was a non-league version of the of the League Cup in the conference called the Bob Lord Trophy, which I once really? saw Wickham crash out of the semi-finals. But anyway, slightly digressing. But he brought it in when football was first televised as a kind of protective measure. And then it, later on it became kind of enshrined in law. So it is a, right. it is a pretty big move, really. Yeah, uh, this
1: was back in the 60s when it first came in. The first game that will be televised at three o'clock is Brighton arsenal and the first free to air game as we've discussed before in a double whammy of history is bournemouth crystal palace thanks tv supremos for that
3: one thing on that was um i had a look to see the last tv game on terrestrial telly a top flight game and it was liverpool man united on april the 26th 1992 which was the day that leeds won it um, they won at Sheffield United, I think, earlier in the day. And then United failed to beat Liverpool. Um, Roy Hodgson was 44 when that game was broadcast, which is still two years older than Eddie Howe is now. So, and obviously, he faces Howe on uh, on Saturday. So uh,
1: The other thing that's different is that there's no matches at the same time. So you could, eh, Daniel, watch every single one of them. Wow. Not sure how many games you guys are looking to get in, but I bet there's one or two that you picked out, maybe ringed in red in your diary. For example,
2: I mean, surely we all got to be really, really happy for the like coronation of Marcus Rashford.
1: Oh, yep, Spurs, Man United. Well, conveniently enough, that's coming up on Friday at eight fifteen, and I call uh, that the weekend. Yeah, no, absolutely. That that's that's gateway to the weekend, isn't it? It's a big game. This for league position. Man United in fifth, and as we mentioned last time, in line as it stands for a Champions League place. Spurs in eighth place but only four points behind them and of course it's a big game for Mourinho up against his former club there's a big Marcus Rashford angle as well because he's already had a major victory away to Her Majesty's Government in London uh, this week Uh, but we'll we'll talk about Man United with you in a second Carl first off uh, with uh, both teams getting some big names back from injury over the layoff. Let's get the uh, current situation with Spurs from Charlie Eccleshire, the Athletics correspondent on Tottenham. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Charlie, thanks for joining us. Uh, First first off, things were getting a bit desperate uh, with Spurs when the league left off. How are they now?
5: Well, they're in a better position seemingly because they've got four pretty important players back. Um, yeah, when the play stopped in mid-March, there was a slight Sunday League element to, right, who can go up front this week because we don't really have a striker. So we kind of be, you know, rooting around trying to find someone uh, because Kane was out, Son was out, Bergwijn was out. All three of them are back. Sissoko is also back from injury. So, Yeah, it doesn't feel quite as pessimistic as it did back then when, um, yeah, it just seemed a bit like they were just waiting for the knockout blow to be delivered.
1: The one player who won't be available up front is uh, Deli Ali. How have the club taken the decision to suspend him three months on for his ill-advised, jovial clip about uh, the uh, coronavirus?
5: I think there was an expectation that that was going to happen at some point, the Bernardo Silva was probably the closest precedent and he got a one-game ban. So I don't think it came as a, a huge surprise. Uh the timing maybe not ideal given that it happened in February and, you know, took took a good few months uh, for the verdict to be reached. You know, and in the short term, just for this one game, I, I don't know if it, it may slightly simplify what would have been a bit of a dilemma for Mourinho as to whether to go for a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3. I suspect he'll now go for a 4-3-3. Um, with Ali not there and kind of have two wide forwards playing for Kane.
1: In general, you mentioned the situation before the lockdown with no wins in sixth, slipping to eighth in the Premier League out of the FA Cup and Champions League as well. But with these players coming back, should Spurs supporters be optimistic? Should they be excited?
5: It's it's a funny one, isn't it? Because I think all teams, kind of like a pre-season, when you don't have a game for so long, you can... Kind of look at the positives and think, you know what maybe maybe we're we're uh we could do something here, and I you know covering Tottenham have completely fallen into that trap because I do think maybe they could do something uh it, it does seem extraordinary to me that uh if they win that game against united um on Friday night, I think they can go one point off the top five, which at the moment is you know champions league qualification, and yes that that might sound a little desperate because it's a big if but that It just seems so far off, Champions League, back in March. Um, whereas now it doesn't seem so crazy. And with all of those players back, I I mean, look, the, the strange thing is that game on Friday is just so, so big. And, you know, we may be by Friday night saying, oh, no, they their season's over. Or we could be saying, yeah, they, they really have a shot. Um, but
1: I, I certainly think there is
5: some room for optimism. Okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, off the field, Spurs earned some headlines by taking out a £175 million loan from the government to survive lockdown. Are they in trouble? And and how important is reaching the Champions League for them, uh, especially, you know, with the the new stadium and that?
5: Yes, it's hugely important. And, you know, they are a club, them and Arsenal proportion wise uh, uh, kind of most reliant on match day revenue and if you think you know the business model of that new stadium was so predicated on there being match day revenue not just from football matches but from gigs from rugby from boxing from NFL uh, it was going to be this all single dancing venue not just not just a football ground that's obviously all gone you know everything's been cancelled so it has hit them very very hard uh, and they were quick to recognize that so Champions League is extremely important. I mean, they're in the fortunate position, or not fortunate because it's good planning of having most of their key players assigned to long term contracts. So they wouldn't be bullied into selling them in the way that some teams would be. But I mean, for all these teams, you know, because the the pandemic has exposed you know the pretty shaky foundations that the Premier League, uh, a lot of the club's uh, finances are built on. so, that Champions League qualification is just so so important for, for them. You look at their north London rivals, Arsenal, as well. Um, so it's going to be an even more tense race, perhaps than ever.
1: Charlie, Echo, Sharon, you can listen to the View from the Lane podcast with Charlie on Friday night, directly following the clash with Man United. I wonder what kind of performance they're going to be looking back on. A car, what with United arriving. Uh, in cracking form, at least before the lockdown, they'd just done the double over City. Fernandez was flying eleven games unbeaten, and now you've got national hero Marcus Rashford back.
2: I know. And also the other guy, Paul Pogba. Two players. Oh, right. well, three players. There's also there's also Anthony Marshall. There's there's at least three people in uh of an attacking persuasion at Manchester United uh returning that have something to prove against their former manager. Mr. Mourinho and I'm very excited for that. Um, yeah, this this is I think this is the big game of the weekend. No, no disrespect to the Merseyside derby. I think there's there's so much uh, personal intrigue in there. Uh, how's Kane going to respond from his long layoff? How Son's going to respond from his long layoff? Rashford will Paul Pogba. He won't start on Friday, but how Paul Pogba might possibly play with Bruno Fernandez and also how much running is that? Unfortunate third person in the midfield going to cope. Um, Can everyone remember that Harry Maguire was a football player and he's also Manchester United's captain all of a sudden? Uh, how is Luke Shaw going to adapt? Um, is David De Gea still United's best goalkeeper? Those are all big storylines. I'm really excited for this one.
1: Yeah, you sound it. That's terrific. Five clean sheets in the last six Premier League matches with that Harry Maguire fellow and Juan Bissaka, who's been great as well. It's all coming together for Ollie.
2: It is a little bit. I don't, the form book is one of those weird things now because this is so unusual. There is only so many learnings you can take from, Right, you know, back in February and March, you were really, really good. Are you still going to be really good in June where you've had three months on the exercise bike and or eating food from Hello Fresh Delivery Service? I'm not quite sure. So uh, I've got this sneaky suspicion that we're going to see a lot of score draws and we're going to see a lot of teams or the teams that are very good at counterattacking or the teams that are very good at basically defending in the middle block your classic 442 teams that can get up and down the pitch that way will do really well basically what i'm saying is burnley and crystal palace are about to shoot up the table
1: okay and are both these teams those spurs and man united they're both good counterattacking sides aren't they
2: they are in theory they're both they both have some very skilled passers that can ping it 40 yards very very quickly when harry kane uh, was harry kane uh, so i'm going to say pre march or April 2018, he was especially good at dropping a little bit deeper and getting it, the ball onto people getting beyond him, like Delhi. So uh, if Spurs play Kane up front and then Son either side or maybe Stevie Burgoyne, that could be a really effective counterpunch to the counterpunch that United could have, which is Bruno Fernandes playing the ball forward to Martial and Marcus Rashford.
0: Yeah, the other big question for, uh, if it obviously affects Manchester United, but it's a Tottenham question is, whether Mourinho has managed to sort out the defence, because we've talked about four attacking players coming back, but even with all those injuries, that's not really been the problem for Tottenham. They've only kept three clean sheets in 26 games under Mourinho, which is remarkable given what we normally expect from a... You know, we expect Mourinho's type is to go into a club, have a full pre-season and then tighten up the defence. He didn't get the pre-season, but now he's kind of had a two or three-month period, albeit not all on the training ground. But they're not going to get the Champions League just by scoring more goals. They're only going to get in the Champions League if they start defending better. And there's so many questions over formerly reliable defenders like Alderweireld and Vertonghen that you just don't really know what to expect from them anymore.
3: Yeah, and they're not the sort of guys that you imagine would come flying back out of the traps after a long, long break. I think when Carl mentioned the midfield. I think Fred has been the most underrated player in the Premier League this season in some respects. Um, their most creative player on raw numbers. Um, and the other thing I like is that remember when Marino really kind of bigged up McTominay as his kind of player of the season and stuff? Um, McTominay's been really, really good. And you can kind of see that kind of coming back to haunt Marino a little bit. I think those two, you know, if they play, are, are going to be quite key. And I think that's probably why Pogba will start on the bench.
1: Fair enough. Uh, what about Marcus Rashford? How is his fitness? Is he 100% yet? He's been quite uh, adamant that he's,
2: he's back to full fitness. A um, double stress factor in his back and a, a bone fo- floating in his foot were, were the reports way back in March, some 90 plus days ago, but he was scheduled to come back for, I want to say just after April and whatnot and I think, yeah, he, he, he's very confident and looks as if he wants to play a game of football and judging right. by certain activity from people close to Marcus Rashford on social media and uh, how Marcus Rashford particularly likes to cut inside and shoot from outside the box Um, he hits the shots of just a little bit more extra venom when he's playing against Mourinho, so I'm going to be really excited for that. It's just United's very first time in the new Tottenham Stadium, so that's going to be fun as well.
1: Previous to that on Friday, at 6pm, Norwich Saints. Probably uh, you're contractually obliged to say something about Saints in in this game. Yes. Uh, They haven't won at Carrow Road in the Premier League uh, for 26 years, Carl. It's going to be...
2: A really interesting game. There's, a, I mean, Norwich. If they if they are going to do the Great Escape, they have to win this game. Whereas for Southampton, it's their time to basically prove that they're no longer going to be the relegation fighting team they have been for the last three seasons. Ralph Hassel's got a brand new deal, and there's just a lot to prove. Um Pierre Hoyberg has just been uh, stripped of the captaincy. The captaincy has been announced uh, as uh, James Ward-Prowse. Amid links that Hoyberg may be going to Spurs or Everton. And, uh, yeah, Danny Ings needs to score a lot of goals because he wants to go play in Euro 2020.
1: Mm, don't we all? Saturday, then. It all kicks off with Watford-Leicester. Then Brighton-Arsenal is the first televised Saturday afternoon game at 3-ish. And then it's West Ham Wolves at 5.30 before Bournemouth-Palace. It's the first live Premier League game on Terrestal TV. Knocking... Celebrity mastermind, pointless celebrities and Michael McIntyre's big show off the screens of millions of unhappy households. Wow, Watford Leicester's a big game. I remember actually all the way back in the midst of time on the 12th of March on our Totally Football Show that day, we were building up innocently enough to what we thought was going to be the weekend's action and we were reliving the famous championship playoff semi-final uh, back in 2013 when when Nigel Pearson, of course, was on the other side of the divide as Leicester Manager, will we see that kind of drama this this time around? Possibly not, based on the two matches so far. But hey, it's going to be fun.
3: Yeah, we spoke then about that that famous playoff game where uh, Leicester started the game with um, Jamie Vardy and Harry Kane on the bench, which seemed a little bit of a waste. But uh, you know, all these years later, Vardy can actually become uh, the 29th player to score 100 goals. He's on 99. He'll be the second oldest debutant to uh, to do it as well after Ian Wright. So pretty impressive to come in that late in your career, particularly when you played, in, you know, started in non-league, um, and get 100 Premier League goals.
1: All right, what about Brighton's clash with Arsenal? Arsenal, of course, reeling from the defeat at the Etihad, and also without key members. Uh, David Luiz won't be available after that red card. Granit Xhaka, of course. Marie? Brighton have a really good uh, record
2: against Arsenal. I know I'm going to contradict myself in saying the form book's going to be weird, but... Again, Brighton, another team, got a lot to play for and they can play in so, well, in that weird way of, Brighton can play in so many weird ways slash I don't really know how Brighton play because they play in so
1: many weird ways. Um, You know what they don't do, Carl, is they don't win. They haven't, they're the only Premier League team yet to get a victory this year.
2: uh, So if anyone's been watching, watching social distance Bundesliga, as I like to call it, uh, teams are, you know, Brighton are, they're, they're big on possession now. Uh, and a lot of the German teams look at their stats now They're they're just not holding on to the ball in the same way they used to because everyone's knackered and, and everyone's got that sort of mental fatigue. So it will be interesting if Brighton sort of, um, we want to, you know, we move Chris Houghton to bring in someone to play a more expansive game of football and then right at the you know squeaky bum time, their attempts to play that expansive game of football just aren't going to work because of the complete unforeseen.
3: Yeah, Brighton in the, in the autumn are getting a lot of credit for the way they were playing. And, you know, Matt Ryan is the, probably the most progressive goalkeeper in the league this season, if you look at the way he's distributing it short to defenders. But ultimately, he needs to stop goals going in and they need to score goals at the other end and, and beat teams. And they're not doing that. So, might
1: as well have got some other dice on. Uh, West Ham Wolves at 5.30. Uh, Nuno Espirito Santo is three for three against the Hammers as Wolves manager and hasn't conceded a goal in any of those games, Daniel.
0: Yeah, I'm touting West Ham as the most interesting story for the rest of the Premier League season Um, because, as we know, David Moyes left in May 2018 after the club decided it needed to head in a different direction. By December 2019, he's back. But they've picked up one point a game on average under his management so far. And there's a growing sample size. You know, he's not been there for four or five matches and they spent £120 million last summer. It's remarkable they're where they are. But if one club knows the too-good-to-go-down haunting tag, then it's West Ham. And if their first three games are Wolves-Chelsea-Spurs. If they lose all three of those, they're bang in trouble. And it's just bizarre that they find themselves in exactly the same situation two years on. So I think they're a really, really interesting story.
2: I described them as a Sophistian football club just after Moyes was announced. And uh, yeah, that rock is uh, about to fall down that hill again.
0: Yeah. Pellegrini's getting a bit too old now. That's the only problem.
1: (laughs) The day finishes with Bournemouth against Crystal Palace, a game which requires no introduction. Bournemouth
2: are having the weirdest and most erratic uh, in terms of what happened in the last 100 days of no football. Bournemouth, the team that everyone sort of paints as as that lovely team on the south coast that everyone's quite nice. I've had Jordan Ibe get in trouble for having a haircut. Uh, Ryan Fraser not wanting to be around anymore. Uh, loads of talk about how much trouble they would be in if they get relegated and just sort of no one really deciding to take responsibility and go, no, actually, we're, we're not going to get relegated and this is what's going to happen next. Everyone are in and around Bournemouth knows if they get relegated, they're going to be in a lot of trouble and they might not even survive in the championship next season. I'm not hearing anything loudly that they are going, yeah, but we're going to fix it because of this reason, this reason, this reason. And this might be my own naivete because... Bournemouth aren't necessarily the loudest team in the Premier League.
1: This is your Southampton angle, Colin. but uh, yeah, they've gone full Saints.
2: They're they're, they're scary, ain't
0: they?
1: <laughs> they're also
0: one of the reasons Eddie Howe always said he wanted to stay, and the, like the next era of his project was because they're going to build this incredible new training ground. Which they've also announced during this lockdown that they're having to pause, which I assume is financial reasons the only thing worse than not having a new training ground is having half the training ground and having spent by all accounts having spent quite a lot of money already put down if they're not able to finish that they really must be in some trouble
3: yeah I think we should probably touch on Ryan Fraser not signing a short-term contract obviously his contract's up he's eyeing up a move to another club but it's still quite a brave stance to take I see you know Bournemouth fans are pretty furious I think it's Pedro's done the same at Chelsea, but it's you know less of an issue at Chelsea. But you know it's not he's not been as good Fraser as he was last season, but he's still been their most creative player. So that's another big blow, I think.
1: Right, and a lot of suggestions, different league, but could soon be in the same one. That Timo Werner is going to pull the same move with with RB Leipzig, uh, basically walk out on them before they take part in the Champions League final eight, which has now been confirmed for uh, Portugal in August. So that he can get in a pre-season with his new club, which seems an extraordinary way to behave—to ditch your old club when they reach probably the most important part of their season. Yeah,
2: I can see. I can see the frustration. However, I do sort of realise all the things I did in previous jobs when I was serving up my notice. I was like, yeah, actually, fair enough. is, yeah, is, is this is this is this any worse than me sort of like? Well, no. I'm well, yeah, not but you weren't serving out
1: your notice as a as the main goal threat of a team vying for Champions League glory?
2: Look, if if Red Bull Leipzig wanted to be a more serious football team, they they shouldn't have squandered their lead at the top of the Bundesliga.
1: Well, that's one angle. We'll talk a little bit more about the Bundesliga and all sorts of other things uh, from the continent a little bit later on. But before that, let's tackle Sunday. Hi, I'm David Ornstein, host of The Athletic's Ornstein and Chapman
0: podcast, where myself and Mark Chapman bring you agenda-setting insight from the world of football and exclusive interviews with leading figures from across the game every single week. Recent episodes include the inside track on Timo Werner's move to Chelsea, a behind-the-scenes look on how the Glazers run Manchester United, and an extensive interview with Kevin De Bruyne. And we also have 15 club-specific shows releasing episodes every single week. So if you're a fan of Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, Newcastle, Spurs, Leeds or many others, there is a podcast just for you. You can hear all of our podcasts ad-free on the Athletic app if you're a subscriber and they're also available to download from all your regular podcast providers. Just search for The Athletic.
1: Football is back. And if you also want to get your sweat on, we want to point you in the direction of Gymshark. Gymshark is a conditioning brand dedicated to creating amazing functional training gear that will ensure you perform at your maximum potential. Over 15 million men and women all over the world wear Gymshark gear, and now you can too. Check out the range for yourself at gymshark.com slash thetotallyfootballshow. And whether you're a runner, you like to hit the rowing machine, or you prefer lifting weights, there's something for you. And when you're ready to relax after your workout, don't worry. They've also got comfy hoodies and cosy sweatpants too. Unlock your potential with Gymshark's game-changing workout clothing at gymshark.com slash thetotallyfootballshow. By the way, if you missed the news on Monday that the Totally Football Show is now part of the Athletic family, well, then we are. And if you're an Athletic subscriber, you'll now be able to hear exclusive ad-free versions of our shows on the Athletic app. There's also be uh, loads of bonus audio and video content from Team Totally there too. And if you're not signed up yet to the Athletic, there has never been a better time to do it because this week you can get 50% off an annual subscription by heading to theathletic.com TFS. Sunday sees Sheffield United visiting Newcastle, who beat them 2-0, do you remember, in December at Bramall Lane. That's followed by Villa's second game of the round. They'll be up against Chelsea at 4-15, to whom they have lost nine of their last ten meetings. And then, no longer with the title riding on it, after Man City's win on Wednesday, but still the Merseyside derby, Everton taking on Liverpool Uh, 7 o'clock on Sunday. Everyone's probably aware that Everton have a really bad record in the derby, but are we aware how bad they are without a win in the last 21 meetings with Liverpool to run that dates back almost a decade? And arguably the most recent clash was the most embarrassing of all. Jones, Cole
4: Oh, what a goal! It's an absolute! Jones for Liverpool. Well, you could describe this FA Cup tie as men against boys and the boys are in front. Yep, Steve, FA Cup third wonderful.
1: round in January Absolutely. when Liverpool were accused of disrespecting the cup no by playing the kids, fielding players who essentially didn't even have Wikipedia pages and still beat a full-strength Everton. Wow. Alrighty, how are these two clubs coming into this? Because they were both having a bit of a wobble before the lockdown. Eh, hey, Daniel?
0: Yeah, I mean, we, we spoke about Liverpool on Monday and kind of the the gloss not wanting to be taken off their season but the same is certainly true of Everton. Ancelotti enjoyed this kind of bright start and then it seemed like in the space of 90 minutes that 4-0 defeat against Chelsea everything kind of almost like with Arsenal on Wednesday it just felt like back to the bad old times for, for Everton and you look at that team and Ancelotti will be doing exactly this and kind of working out what he wants to keep and lose this summer and I look at it and it's it's Pickford, yes, Luca Dean, yes, Richarlison and Dominic Calvert-Lewin, and there's not an awful lot else there that you'd really hang your hat on. And this is a team that's spent however many hundreds of millions of pounds over the last four or five years on trying to build a squad. It's it's not good. It's not good at all.
1: As for Liverpool, they were having, as I say, a bit of a wobble. They'd lost to Watford, they'd lost to Atleti, got knocked out of the Champions League, Chelsea in the FA Cup, so dreams of a double or a treble. At the picture, four defeats in the last six. How much will Jurgen Klopp have used this three-month layoff to fire his boys back up again? Ha!
3: Yeah, I can't see Liverpool really struggling in this game. I mean, to put the bad run of Everton into context, um, since they last beat Liverpool, Messi and Ronaldo have scored 671 goals, which is quite good, and it's also 158 more than Everton have managed in that same period. So. You know, it's not been a classic decade for everton um, i think liverpool's run of four defeats in six is slightly misleading you know they, they shouldn't have lost to atletico the watford game was just a kind of aberration they've still you know they've still only dropped five points all season in the premier league and i think you know if there's one manager that will have used the time pretty well i think it's jürgen klopp so I, I fully expect liverpool a bit like we saw city in midweek to you know to come out and, and hit the ground running
1: OK, well, we'll be talking about events this week in Europe very, very shortly. First of all, though, here's Lee Price talking to erstwhile producer Ben.
4: Thank you very much, Jimbo. So two games down, 90-something more to go, and Lee Price is on the line from Paddy Power. Lee, let's start, please, with Man United versus Spurs. This is a big one. What's going to happen?
6: Back of a bang, baby. Yeah, the first couple of games were a good warm-up, but this is going to be the one. It's got nil-nil going all over it, hasn't it, now? Our traders, though, are back in the Manchester United victory at 7-5, with home advantage presumed a thing of the past. That said, Tottenham should be used to changing home environments and a 15-8 to, to take the three points. The draw is 23-10 to to and football is officially back. Takeover
4: or no takeover, Newcastle United will be playing against Sheffield United. Give us some markets on this
6: one, please. Hmm, yeah, the Saudi derby, kind of, maybe, depending on piracy issues. The home team haven't really got much to play for, other than Matty Longstaff, of course, who will be hoping to impress Italian viewers. And they're priced at 23-10 to to win this, or it's 2-1 that Newcastle will get a draw. Sheffield United are well in the European hunt, unless you ask manager Chris Wilder, of course, and are our favourites. We make them 13-10 to to get another win.
4: And finally, it's Everton versus Liverpool. Everton looking for revenge, as we've been saying. So, can they do it at Goodison?
6: (laughs) I don't envy Everton fans right now. Knowing their city rivals on the brink of the title, it almost makes the Sam Adais era seem like halcyon days. Almost. They couldn't be Liverpool reserves last time this fixture took place, and Everton are 4-1 to to win this time, and prolong Liverpool's wait for a title by a few extra days, but not many. The draw is a similarly long price at 3-1, with champions-elect Liverpool odds-on to win at 4-7, because that's what they've done this season.
1: You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Champions League mentioned the fact they're going to do their final eight in the Portuguese capital, Lisbon, from the 12th to the 23rd of August. Atletico Madrid, RB Leipzig, Atalanta and Paris Saint-Germain are all ready through. Man City 2-1 up against Real Madrid from their first leg of their last 16. Chelsea 3-0 down against Bayern Munich. Juve a goal down against Lyon. And Barcelona a 1-1 with Napoli with the second leg at the camp no still to come. The Women's Champions League last date. that's going to be in Bilbao and San Sebastian. And the last eight of the Europa League has been confirmed as taking place now from the 10th to the 21st of August in Germany. These, I feel these are going to be quite fun, these kind of mini tournaments mm. in August.
0: Yeah I, th- yeah, I think it's a shame that the calendar as it is, doesn't allow for the Europa League to do that every season. I think it's a really good way of getting a bit more interest in the Europa League, but obviously in any normal season there will be league programmes to consider, so it's not possible. But I think it's great for one season. Do it for Europa League too? Yeah.
1: Speaking of that Europe, they went and had a couple of uh, titles decided midweek. One of them was on Wednesday in Rome. And to tell us all about that, here comes James Horncastle. Buonasera James. Buonasera. Right. bene, So uh, now Wednesday evening you were watching as Napoli took on Juve at the Stadio Olimpico in Rome in the Coppa Italia final and Napoli came through and took the trophy. What an extraordinary finale to a remarkable season uh, for latterly their manager Gennaro Gattuso.
7: Yeah, I mean, I think fireworks are going off in in Naples as we speak. Um, the city is is partying whilst also following social distancing guidelines. As you mentioned, a remarkable season for Napoli, which in December looked like it was completely unraveling with Ancelotti uh, and the club parting ways. There was a mutiny. It looked like the dressing room was at odds with the boardroom. There's a threat of legal action, and Cattuso's come in and has been able to uh, basically bring this team, bring this club together. And they've done it the hard way. They've run the gauntlet through the Coppa Italia. They knocked out the holders, Lazio. They then knocked out Inter, who I think uh, wanted to win their first trophy in nine years and thought Antonio Conte was going to be the guy who would help them do that. And then they put out the current city A champions, Juventus. And uh, I think winning this title in and of itself would be big for Napoli, given that they haven't won anything for six years. Um, beating Juventus in the final, the old enemy, is another element to it. And then beating a team that is coached by Maurizio Salli, um, the guy who looked like he was going to be the one who ended um, Napoli's long Scudetto drought, who you know professed to be the Che Guevara who was going to sort of storm the palace and bring down the uh, establishment at Juventus, only to then rock up and be... Um, their chief strategist, if you like, um, I think makes it all the more satisfying uh, for Napoli and, and particularly for Gennaro Gattuso, who, um, you know, has himself uh, experienced kind of personal tragedy in the last uh, fortnight. His his younger sister passed away and uh, you could see at the end um, the togetherness in this team, um, Yeah, you know, tears being shed. Um, throwing the the president up in the air um, when they probably wanted to throw him in the Bay of Naples um, in December uh, and also Gattuso just being at the centre of it all giving just this sort of rousing speech at the end um, which you know I think um, I wrote about this yesterday that you know Gattuso's effect his the connection he's been able to strike up with the players and particularly Dries Mertens who had an offer from Chelsea and could have gone to Inter as well and, and yet decided to stay you know, much of that was down to this kind of personal touch, the charisma of Gattuso. Who you know, I think a lot of people look at him and judge him, judge Gattuso, the the manager, on on what they they think they know about Gattuso, the player. Um, and instead, he has this kind of feeling, being able to say the right words with a look, get the right uh, reaction from players, um, and he seems to be a natural at it.
1: Magnificent. As for the beaten manager, and I say beaten, but it went to penalties, goalless after 90. Merritt, who'd come in for the suspended Ospina, uh, actually covering himself in glory, uh, and Danilo kind of blasting his ball out the stadium. Mauricio Sari uh, finishing up uh, with disappointment in this uh, competition. There's still some doubt over whether they will win the title. They're only one point ahead of. Lazio and the Champions League campaigns rather in doubt as well after a defeat in the first leg against Lyon. Uh, to what extent is he certain of being the Juve manager next season?
7: I think the pressure's on um, because you look at who he replaced, uh, Massimino Allegri, who had won, um, what, five? Uh, Scudetti had taken the, the team to the Champions League final twice. They were on the cusp of winning the treble in both of those seasons and they decided to move on from him when he still had a year left on his contract on the basis that they thought that Maurizio Sarri could get more out of this team, um, that he could get them to play a style of football that um, historically we don't associate with Juventus. And I think for that reason, that choice was very courageous and very ambitious. But um, you have to say that so far, even if you were to put a gloss on it, you would be saying it's a work in progress. Um, Yes, they are top of the league by a point. They were on for a treble um, until this evening, um, but we've only really seen flashes of the kind of football that uh, we all expected to see uh, from Maurizio Sarri so far this season. Some of the players find the drills that he he, he imposes to be too repetitive um, and too didactic. I think they would like more freedom and uh, and to know that, you know, look... I'm Cristiano Ronaldo. I know what to do. Uh, you know, I've won five Ballon d'Ors. I've won the Champions League more times than this club has. So just trust me to to, to do what I can do. Um, and yet, you know, again we saw tonight Ronaldo marginal. I mean, she's completely anonymous in the second half. Um, didn't even get to take a penalty at the end because he wanted to take the the, the last one. I think Sari has got a, a big job on his hands um, to to persuade the club that they made the right decision uh, back in the summer. Um, you know, I mean, he made he was at pains to make this point yesterday that you know if Juventus manages in their first season, you know, in terms of the points that he's racked up, in terms of the position that they were in going into tonight, he's had you know the best debut season in half a century. Um, but uh, you have to say that the you know the economic disparity between Juventus and the rest in Serie puts them at an advantage. Um, as well and and, and just so much more was expected of him Um, Yeah, I think the veteran players in the team seem to still be behind him, seem to want to make a go of it Um, and uh, the club itself I don't think will be rash in any action that they take because I think they are patient Um, but certainly the stakes are all the higher uh, on the back of tonight Um, luckily for them they're their re-entry into Serie A, if you like, is a soft re-entry. They've got, they've got maybe two or three games, which you look at and you think Juventus should win those, gain some momentum, whereas Lazio, they have to go to Atalanta for their first game back. So I think depending on the outcome of that, we'll, we'll see what the rest of the season holds.
1: Well, Juve will try and bounce back from that. At Bologna on Monday night, Lazio, a point behind them, will be in action next Wednesday when they will have that mouth-watering trip to Atalanta. Crikey. Action in Spain. Oh, Thursday night it's Real Madrid against Valencia. Barcelona on Friday are going to be in Seville. There's loads of Bundesliga action coming up, but the title is now Bayern Munich's. Yes, Tuesday they beat Werder Bremen 1-0. Lovely goal. Boateng floating one over the top to Robert Lewandowski, who controlled on his chest, then turned and whipped it in. And there you go. That was their eighth straight German championship, their 30th in total. They have now won 26 of the 29 games that they've had under Hansi Flick. All very remarkable. Uh, As for Werder Bremen, that's really bad news for them, particularly because on Wednesday night, then, their two rivals down at the bottom both got unexpected results. Mainz beat Dortmund 2-0 and Uwe Rosler's Fortuna Dusseldorf were 2-0 down against RB Leipzig. And scored two goals in the last six minutes to snatch a draw, and Uwe went crazy on the sidelines. Leipzig, with their uh, exciting young manager Julian Nagelsmann, will be hosting Dortmund on Saturday. Daniel, how are you going to fit that one in?
0: Yeah, we need four or five screens set up, like a sort of VAR controller.
1: Yeah, make it so. I mean, there's only 180 minutes left in the Bundesliga. You can't miss this bit, it's the best bit. Anyway, uh, I hope you enjoy your your wall-to-wall football this weekend. We'll be back on Sunday night, listener, to uh, draw some conclusions where possible on the whole thing and and look forward to the the next round of action. But for now, it's many, many thanks to Carl Anker and to Daniel Storey and to Duncan Alexander for being with us. And uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Cheerio.
4: You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddynewsmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Muddy knees.
7: Media